Welcome to Series 1, Episode 5 of Three Sports Rankers, the sports podcast where we're awarding bronze, silver and gold across a range of topics in what we're calling the ultimate sporting medal ceremony. I'm Rob Schofield, I'll be hosting this week because my topic up for debate is greatest sporting capitulations and uh, Sam Barker, Callum Scotland are going to be trying to convince me of their picks. How did we find uh, researching this one guys? I really enjoyed this one. I de- there's something about looking at all your like favourite sports stars and watching them collapse on the greatest stage that's quite humanising. And I think I really, I really enjoyed uh, researching yeah, and finding I, out some really weird ones as well. I know what you mean. I think having these sort of global stars and holding them up to such high standards is great a lot of the time. But then to see them fail every once in a while, and it, I mean, it is you know, once in a blue moon that these sort of capitulations come around makes it so much better, makes sport that much, that much better because it's not it's not just like amazing comebacks from teams and, you know, fantastic performances. It is, there, there is a human element to these superstars that makes it so special. Yeah, that's very much kind of what I wanted to get from this as well is to try and avoid actually playing off on the other side, avoid the, the, uh, the comebacks and more go for, for someone or or a team or of some sort somewhere in sport just absolutely throwing the damn thing away. Um, series scores at uh, this moment in time. Uh, I'm in the fortunate position to be on 14 points from the opening four episodes, uh, but I'm sitting this one out, obviously, to host uh, Callum and Sam both on seven. So it's all to play for with, well, four episodes left. It's, it really is a good job you're sitting this one out, isn't it? You've got quite a hearty <laughs> lead going right now. Right, so let's get started. Uh, Callum, I'm going to start with you. What's your bronze pick for greatest capitulation in sports history? Um, I've got two options here, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to go with the one that I think is good, not the one that I think you will think is good. Interesting. Um, I'm not going for the please the please the host pick, <laughs> um, and it's the 2011 Masters when Rory McIlroy went in to the final day with a four-shot lead over a chasing pack of Angel Cabrera, KJ Choi, Jason Day, and Charles Schwartzel. McElroy ended up losing, not by one shot, but he was nine shots behind Schwartzel at the end of the day. McElroy finished on, finished on five under, and Schwartzel birdied the last four holes to finish on 14 under and claim the green jacket. This was when McElroy was still on the rise as a, as a professional golfer, but he was still one of the best five players in the world without question and uh he was just so <laughs> that we should point out that there is a dog uh, we, have our, we have our little yeah full disclosure uh, this is the first week. appearance of lola the cockapoo these three sports rankers uh, official mascot slash couldn't find dog hair today <laughs> uh, if you hear any pitter patter uh, lola is joining us for the podcast um but no carry on Callum. so yeah mcelroy was unquestionably one of the best five golfers in the world at this point. I mean, still still very young by, by golfing standards, but he was expected to be a favourite in, uh, in the Masters. And he, he showed up and led after every single one of the first three days. He was seven under after the first day and 12 under after the, um, after the third day, I think. So 
you know, to throw away a lead that big on the final on the final day, including a triple bogey on ten and a double bogey on the short par three twelfth, it shouldn't happen to someone like Rory McIlroy. But alas, it did. When you were watching it, what was it very obvious to you what was happening? When did it click in? Do you mind that this is just absolutely falling away from this guy? I can't remember what hole it was, but it was the hole where he literally hit it into the clubhouse. Like he hit the ball into, the, it was, or it was some, was it some caddy shack? I think it landed on a building. There was like, I think it was on the thirteenth. He just, he just hooked his drive yeah. horribly because it's a dogleg left, so very easy for a right-hander to hook it, and it was ridiculous. I don't think he even properly finished his follow-through. He just dropped his club and was like, "This is going." all kinds of wrong for me um so i think it, i think it was around then i mean I, I should probably have thought it was going wrong for him when he triple bogeyed the 10th but i think the 13th was where it properly set in and was like he's not coming back from this there's no way he's going to even come close to winning i'm really glad that you have actually brought this one up because when rob said sporting capitulations at the end of last week's episode this was the first thing that came into my head it is not in my list it, it, it's gone after some research but it was so close to coming in bronze it was the one that in my lifetime i remember the clearest mm. it's the one that stood out for me i think it is and for it, a lot of people because it was so uh, as callum's put it that it was it was obviously his to lose but also he was red hot at the time i think the thing as well is is the longevity of it not only did he capitulate that year but it's haunted him ever since at the masters well that He's was what i was going to say kind of, you almost, do you think that gives it an extra little bit of platform because of you do feel like, you know, obviously McElroy is, is coming back into some serious form now and obviously has won things, but it's difficult to, to debate this hasn't really... It is still the albatross around McElroy's neck. There's no question about that. It's the, it's the one, like, it's the one thing that he will look back on. If he finished his career today, it's the one thing he'll look back on and be like, I had it. I had it in my hands and I let it go. Um, and I think until he wins a green jacket, that's going to... It's going to continue to haunt him, and it will be the one thing that people talk about every April when he turns up to Augusta as well. Absolutely. Sam, what have you gone for? Um, I'm going to take you back a little uh, little before 2011. I'm going to take you back to 1927. Here we go. This is, this is kind of the niche stuff. This I'm is what you wanted, wasn't 1927. it? 1927. This, this is what we expected when we asked Sam to do a sports podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 1927, Southwest London, the Greengrass of Wimbledon. Wimbledon semi-finals. Callum rolling his eyes, you can, as I expected. Go back to, the go back to 1927, way, but it will still be tennis. To <laughs> tennis. 1927 Wimbledon. Okay. Wimbledon semi-finals. Bill Tilden against Henry Cushet. Bill Tilden is 6-2-6-2-5-1-30-love-up. You know this is going really <laughs> That's amazing. It, it honestly Just go, run through that again for us. 6-2-5-1-30-love. So you, you cannot possibly lose a tennis match I think from I've, there. I think I've lost a tennis match from there. From that position. <laughs> I, was, could, I could start a tennis there. match from there and I'd lose it. <laughs> he, he, but, but to put in some context, he'd never lost a Wimbledon match. He'd won, in, he'd won the title in 1920, won the title in 1921. He hadn't been back for another five years. American hadn't flown over. Came back for 1927. Still this unbeaten run. Got to this point had just beaten Henry Cochet a few weeks earlier at the French Open in the semi-final stage. He lost six games in a row, lost the third set, then lost the next two sets, I think it was 6-4, 7-5. He lost and Cochet went on to win the title. If that is not the most bizarre, biggest tennis capitulation, and there's loads in, in tennis, 
But this one in particular is just extraordinary. The number two ranked player in the world. He'd gone, I think it's something like 56 Grand Slam matches in a row he'd won. He'd won five US Opens in a row. Just a dominant player. And it, this just came out of absolutely nowhere. And uh, it's just a staggering, staggering... Uh, what was the collapse. what was the form of his opponent like at the time? Was he was he sort of a, world number four? He's a good. He's so a good he's player. he's right up there with him. He is he is right up there. Kuchet has not at this stage had that much experience on grass. He did he does go on to win the title. Kuchet has also though I will say I, I I did I was a little bit wary of putting this in because it's sort of comeback sort of capitulation. But I think from 6 2, 6 2, 5 on 30 level, I think, yeah. that's a capitulation. <laughs> yes. He's very much throwing that away. To give Cachet some credit, in the quarter final, he was two sets down, came back to winning five. In the semi final, this match here, he was two sets down, came back to winning five. In the final, you guessed it, he was two sets down, he came back to winning five. So Cachet does have some history of doing this. But for Tilden, a player of his experience, of his quality, to do that is just staggering. Sam, that's, that's the kind of thing I was after when I set this topic. And, and Callum, I feel like unless you pull a Tilden-based rabbit out the hat and you're, you find two picks, this might find a place in, uh, on the podium because that is an absolute belter of a story. Let's move on to silver, though. Uh, Callum, what's, uh, what, have you, what have you picked as your second best capitulation in sports? I've gone with the same sport as I did for my bronze. And it was 12 years earlier at Carnoustie. And the reason I've put it above Rory McIlroy is because it has that sort of iconic moment of you know exactly what it is as soon as you mention the player's name, and it's Jean van der Velde. Van der Velde, in a very, very similar situation to Rory, Rory McIlroy, was five shots ahead at the Open at Carnoustie. He was level par through three rounds, which obviously you'd think not great, but when his nearest competitor was five over, you're like, He's done something really good to get here. Paul Laurie eventually won the Claret Jug in a playoff coming back from 10 strokes behind, uh, which is still the biggest uh, the biggest comeback in, in Open history. Uh, but it wouldn't have happened without the antics of one Frenchman, Jean van der Velde. He had a three-shot lead on 18 as he teed the ball up. Uh, he, said, he later said he thought he was only two shots up. Uh, so he took a risky driver and shanked it onto the 17th fairway. It's, it, when you take a driver on the 80, it, am I right in thinking he only needed a, a, a double bogey? Double bogey would double bogey, bogey would have seen him win the Claret Jug. I can see why you've naturally made that pick over McElroy because it, it zeroes right in on that yeah. final moment. McElroy's was a, a sort of final day capitulation, yeah. but Jean van der Velde... Talk about was, throwing it away. Oh, definitely threw it away because... I didn't. I didn't know this uh, until I was doing my research. But his second shot was even worse. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he took a two iron from the fairway instead of electing to lay up. Bounced it off the grandstand. It bounced on a rock in the burn in front of the green and jumped into the rough. So he's he's overshot the green Jump, by jumped cons- back into yeah. The rough so it's well. so it's gone back backwards from the burn into the rough. Thick thick rough at Carnoustie as well. And then he's chunked one into the into the Great river. Race. He's chunked one into the river <laughs> from uh, from the rough. So and then he's he's had a moment of sort of French maverick uh, that only only well, a Frenchman well, could well, manage. I've seen a picture of I'm exactly looking, what you're about to say. I'm looking at a picture of him stood 
in the water, socks off. There you go. Hands on hips, looking down. How the hell have I got myself <laughs> in this position? And then the next picture, which is like, it's kind of a step-by-step telling, it's just him looking up to his caddy, he's just handing him a damp sock. Just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so Vanderveld um, ventured into the river, um, <laughs> but decided against playing out from the river, which I think is probably the good decision. Absolutely. Uh, but he had he had the first good decision he'd made so far. Yeah, he had he had de socked himself um, and rolled his rolled his trousers up to his knees. So he was he was already the laughing stock of all of golf. Uh, but then he dropped the ball uh, back in the drop zone, put the ball in one of the greenside bunkers, and then had an up and down to make seven, a triple bogey, and then in a three way playoff with Paul Laurie and I think it was Angel Cabrera. Uh, he finished three over on a four-hole playoff, and uh, Paul Laurie won the Claret Jug. So I think um, I think just purely for the iconic moment of that picture that Rob's just described of Vandeveld stood in the burn with his with his trousers up to his knees and no shoes and socks on, just looking down, thinking, "I had this in my hands. <laughs> what on earth you has just happened?" Imagine that. I mean, we've all been on the golf course. We've all you know maybe played. If we bring it back to our level, play <laughs> a good couple of shots and then a, a hole just completely melts away from you. But that feeling that it's just getting worse and worse and worse and you can't wrestle There's that nothing control. you can do to stop it. Like he, that's, I think, what happens in, is, is a very specific to golf. And obviously I haven't played every sport under the sun, but it, it's a you have the trudge from shot to shot to think about how it went. And I think, I think with, a, with a sport like golf as well, because it's such an individual sport, there is no there is no room for a comeback from anyone else. You are the only person in control of exactly. your destiny, and I think that's why that that's why I've chosen this over you know a multitude of others that I could have had in the top three. That this one really stuck out to me as like he had it in his hands on the last hole. He he all he had to do was play four golf shots, which he had done. He'd done better than anyone else that week. He was five shots in the lead at the start of the day, and he didn't play particularly badly through the through the first seventeen holes. He still had a three shot lead, and I just it just beggars belief that someone who plays a professional sport for as long as he did can get to that point and just completely forget all kind of tactic. It's what we love about sport. That he'd ever learned about his sport. It was it was ridiculous. And, you know, I, I'm sure it happened in 1999. So I was only five going on six. So I don't, I don't remember it at all. But, you know, I'm sure if I asked my dad, he'd be like, that's right up there with some of the best capitulations in sport. And I think, I think for, for people like us as well, who are sort of social golfers, it's so relatable. Oh, so relatable. <laughs> that like... Uh, I've made a poor. I've made a poor shot off the first tee, but I'll rectify it with the yeah. uh, with the next shot. Next shot goes horrendously. It just starts spiraling. Because in your head, spiraling. you go, "I can bench it. I'm strong enough. I can, I can <laughs> bench it, and I can move on." But yeah, a complete and utter meltdown. It's a cracking choice, Callum. Uh, Sam, what's your what's your pick for silver? So if I say to you, Gary Anderson. You're thinking uh, the best what, sporting Anderson in the, the world. The best sporting Anderson in the world. But I'm not talking about the Scottish darts player. Ah. I'm talking about the Minnesota Vikings kicker. Yeah, not the direction uh, anyone thought he was going. Although Callum's nodding, so he certainly knows what happens here. So Rob, you don't really know American football at all. So Go on, enlighten this, me. Paint this picture for you. So 1998 NFC Championship game. 
The Vikings are 27-20 up with two minutes, 11 remaining. You're with me so far? I'm, <laughs> yeah. I break it down. <laughs> the really, gears are churning. Really simple. So Gary Anderson is the Minnesota Vikings kicker. That season, he has become the first kicker in history to hit every single field goal, every single extra point. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go. Uh, 100% success rate. He's made 122 consecutive kicks. Unreal. 38-yard kick. He's got two minutes, 11 remaining to put the Vikings 10 points up and probably, not definitely, but probably seal the game and seal them the spot in the Super Bowl. 38 yards, as Callum will testify, is not a particularly long distance for a kicker. You're sort of looking anything over 45, you start to go, are oh, they going to get it? No, but 38 is very reasonable. 122 kicks in a row. He misses. He misses the kick. It just goes completely to pop from there for the Vikings. They miss that 2-11 back for Falcons. Come back down the other side. Start pushing back. Robert Griffin, the quarterback for the Vikings, has a simple interception chance. Misses that. The Falcons score on the very next drive. It goes to overtime. The Vikings win the toss. All you have to do in overtime in American football is score points. At this stage, first team score points one. Golden goal-esque. Golden goal-esque. The Vikings were just shot by this point. They were in pieces. They made one first down, had to punt the ball back to the Falcons. The Falcons then punted the ball back. The Vikings got another chance. They didn't even make one first down, punted it straight back to the Falcons. Falcons went on to ironically hit a field goal and win the match 30-27. 122 kicks in a row to then miss that pivotal one. And it just, again, just started a, a spiral of capitulations. No doubt a great capitulation from Gary Anderson. I love how Anderson. up until this point we've just loved them all and now we're like, right, there's points on the line. But <laughs> I would argue that it's not even the best capitulation in American football. There's, so this is the issue I had is, is there's so many in American football and it's very hard to distinguish between what is a capitulation and what is a comeback. No, I, I have a capitulation okay, for you. Uh, it's not in my top three, but it was in consideration. Uh, the New Orleans Saints played the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's one of only two times in NFL history that a team has scored a last-minute touchdown using more than one lateral on a play. So a lateral is when the quarterback throws the ball to a receiver and the receiver then throws the ball backwards, a la rugby, to another receiver or running back or always, anyone always on his team. Always funny when it happens, but very rarely comes up. So this was the first time it ever happened in, in NFL history. And... It was, I think, three laterals for the Saints to get from, I think it was their own 31-yard line into the end zone with about two seconds left on the clock. Their kicker, John Casey, has the fifth most points in NFL history and is one of the most accurate kickers in NFL history. He missed the extra point to take the game to overtime. Sam's answer was good, but I would argue that that one's better and it's not even made my top three. I just, I just don't think you can get around that. 122 kicks he made in a row, and then that one crucial one he had to make, he bottled it. What a capitulation. Okay. Interesting, because Callum's kind of swooped in there with some superior American football knowledge. and, and that, was, that was a risk I knew I had to take. Uh, interesting. This okay. is why I don't do tennis answers. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, I'm actually going to come to you first for your gold picks. That was quite the rundown uh, from, from Callum trying to knock your American football silver out of the park uh, to use a completely different American sporting phrase <laughs> on how to make it. What I thought was a good link there. Um, what's, what's top of the podium for you, Sam? Well, I'm quite glad you sort of 
come to me first, it's going to make your life difficult because my gold is John Vandermilt, who we've already mentioned. <laughs> and that's, yeah, it, it's just as, I mean, we've, we've, we've gone through it already. It is just, there's, you can't make any argument that it was a comeback from anyone else. It is an out and out pure capitulation of the highest order and just what, as we said, spiralling one mistake after another. You think just play it sensible, hit a nice iron off the tee down the fairway lay up, chip on, but just everything was just attack, 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 and in golf that just is not the smartest thing to do the majority of the time. But and it got him in that position. And it, yeah, well, it got him in that position, but then it also threw the whole thing away, and he said he got to the, uh, the he, he, <laughs> amazingly, the funny part is he played this terrible hole, and then he had to hit a 10-footer to even make the playoff afterwards, and he actually sunk the 10-foot putt, it was by far the best shot he hit of the seven. But his head was gone and he shot a double bogey in the first hole of the four-hole playoffs and he was never coming back from there. No, you've got to... I mean, he, sh- he, he literally should have treated it as a par five. Just play it, yeah. play it as a par five and he would have been fine. Yeah, He could have, he could have shot a bogey on his not par five and still would have been fine. So this has got a little bit of a Premier League frontman feel to it that I'm going to have to make a very difficult decision and omit some of the... Can I just also say, before we even get to Callum's golf, brilliant researching guys in terms of finding... These uh, these great picks, but Callum. Okay, so we Vanderbilt is getting in there. I imagine somewhere. What trumps it? There's an argument that this one could be a comeback. Okay, I'm j- I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in there to begin with. But and prepare for that to be thrown right back at you the time you finished it. But the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox are two of the biggest franchises in baseball. The New York Yankees bought the Boston Red Sox Babe Ruth in 1918 and with with the purchase of uh, Babe Ruth came ownership of Boston of the Boston Red Sox ground Fenway Park mm. so not only did they not only did their fierce rivals buy their best player they also then owned their rivals ground so this was 1918 then follows a period where the New York Yankees win 26 world series Boston win none between 1918 and 2003. Okay, so 2003, the Yankees beat the Red Sox in seven games and go to the World Series. My maths isn't great, but that's a lot of years. It's a lot of years, but it's culminating. Don't worry, I'm just setting it up. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) Um, So we've got 26 World Series to zero. We've got them buying the best player. We've got them having the most iconic players in history. They've had Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Derek Jeter, and more recently. So... And Mariana Rivera, the best reliever to ever play the game and the only person to ever be elected to the Hall of Fame unanimously. 2004, the teams are playing to go to the World Series once again, just as they did in 2003. Game 7 in 2003 was an 11th inning walk-off home run for Aaron Boone uh, for the New York Yankees. And Boston Red Sox fans were thinking, this is never going to end. We are never, ever going to win a championship. But then the ALCS 2004, the Yankees win the first three games of the series, having won the AL East from the the Red Sox in the regular season. And just remind everyone, it's first to... to, It's first to four in a seven-game series. The Yankees uh, 3-0 up, including a 19-8 beating of the Red Sox in Game 3 at Fenway Park. Then in the bottom of the eighth inning in Game 4 in a win-or-go-home situation. Uh, the Yan- is, this is now at Yankee Stadium in Game 4. 
The Yankees bring out Mariano Rivera, the greatest closer in the history of the game. The man pitched 141 postseason innings, which is the equivalent of nearly 17 full games. And he gave up, I think it was something like 22 runs, which is an an insane number. It could even have been less. I don't have it in front of me. But he walks walks the first batter. So he gives him a free pass to first base. And you're thinking, okay, that's fine. They're They're still in the lead. It doesn't matter. Then... The Red Sox bring in a pinch runner, so they swap the runner on first base for someone who is much faster and much more of a threat on the on the base paths. Mariano Rivera is very aware of this, so he throws the ball over to the first baseman a couple of times just to keep him in check and make sure that he's not getting too far ahead of himself. On Rivera's first pitch to the next batter, the runner on first steals second base. So he's now in scoring position. Anything that goes into the outfield from the next batter, the man on second will come round to home plate, tie the game, and it will probably go to extra innings. That, of course, happens. So uh, the game-tying run was scored in the ninth inning. We go to the 12th inning. Mariano Rivera has gone out of the game. They've brought in a new pitcher for the Yankees. David Ortiz hits a two-run home run in the 12th inning to clinch game four take it to game five. There have only been three occasions in all of American sports where a team has come back from 3-0 down in a seven-game series to win. Mm. The other two were in, uh, were in ice hockey. Now, game six for the uh, Red Sox, they win game five in the 14th inning, so it goes to extra innings again. Game six, Kurt Schilling, the Red Sox pitcher, has pre-game surgery on his ankle to basically stitch his tendon to his bone Sounds fun. to make sure that he can pitch through the game. He pitches seven innings and comes out with a noticeable limp, obviously, because he's thrown... Because <laughs> his ankle's hanging off. Yes, because he has one foot now. Um, Kurt Schilling has a bloody sock, and all, all, the, all the cameras are doing in the, in the uh, stadium are zooming in on Kurt Schilling's sock soaked in blood uh, and he comes out of the game and win f- they the Red Sox end up winning 4-2 uh, then the, Yan- the Yankees get blown out in game 7 in their own backyard at Yankee Stadium uh, the Red Sox win 10-3 advance to the World Series and sweep the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series to win their first uh, World Series since 1918 now you might think like what an unbelievable comeback. You might think it's a great comeback, but the Yankees have... <laughs> well, okay, I'm just going to stop you there. The Yankees because... have had 80 years yeah. of domination, and they've just they've just walked past the Red Sox for 80 years and expected to do it every single time. And I think the weight of expectation from Yankees fans and even Yankees players, owners, managers, front office, everyone has culminated in a massive capitulation. For the New York Yankees. Okay. Did anyone take their socks off and wade into water? <laughs> That's the real question. Okay. Did, did any of yours have their ankles sewn to each other? This is where I'm coming point. from with this. And unfortunately, Callum, you, you teed it up right at the start. I think you could absolutely argue both sides. They did throw it away. But also to have the resolve to battle through that, I think... To me, when I look at that on paper, and you've told the story, you've told it brilliantly in regards to how it played out, but I do see it 
as a comeback more so than a capitulation. I'm sorry, that's just the way I see it. That which was, leads that was us... the really tricky thing about yeah, this. Yeah, and it was very, very was hard. Really hard. I, think it, I think it depends on which side of the fence you fall. Obviously, I have a horse in this race as a Yankees fan. So I see it more as a capitulation than a comeback. That's probably got a big part to play with it because as a purely neutral sound, I don't know, obviously you're batting points and stuff, not exactly neutral, <laughs> but they were looking at it, that is all, I can say if you were a Yankees fan, you would think, what on earth have we done there? But it, on the flip side, if you're a Boston fan, that would be See, I, th- I think, I think, obviously Boston fans see it as a great comeback, but the, the fact that there was so much dominance beforehand just makes i i no yankees team had ever lost from that situation before like it was just unthinkable that a franchise like that could lose from there and i think that makes it more of a capitulation than a comeback but you know you're the boss okay (laughs) let's almost work from the top down we wouldn't normally do it this way but um as you can probably guess vanderbilt's going into gold place sam's getting his three points for that because and and I'll put it this way Callum it was it was taking silver hands down it was taking silver before Sam's tactical move to to promote it into gold place because it's just phenomenally bad it's and the difference between that and most team and the tennis one that I mentioned as well is it's such a, it's such a capitulation. Yeah, and, and it's, no, it's an individual there's no as well. Argument at all that it's a comeback from someone else is just a yeah. complete capitulation. So Sam's getting three points for a gold pick there. Then we come into I'm going to go bronze. I'm sorry, but Tilden. That is what a story that is. And just for a, <laughs> this noise. <laughs> Our first F-bomb of the series, <laughs> because, and let's give everyone a little bit of context, sitting down to record this uh, episode, Callum said, it's a new day, I'm here for points. <laughs> the thing is, he, you have got, Callum, you have got so unlucky this entire you really series have. with the way the... The standings have fallen. And yeah. None of you are getting any points. <laughs> okay, because, I'm sorry, Sam, but that... Oh, I'm raging. <laughs> <laughs> parental guidance um, I just think what a pick and, and to, to do some digging and find that well I, I'd heard a little bit about it and I knew it was Tilden but I couldn't quite remember when it was so I had to, I do, I had to dig into it and it was I mean it's, it's a great story and do you know what Callum and unfortunately because you picked Van Vilt as your silver obviously Sam's getting the silver as well but I would say that one's a little bit open to interpretation and I'm not going to just to soften the blow it's not softening the blow at all but uh, never talking to either of you again what I would argue there is okay the, the capitulation in terms of he, he'd made the record number of kicks and, and how could he not convert that one but they still only had to hold on if they just have hold on and that's on the whole team yeah yeah. So that's why I brought in the uh, corner who missed the interception as well. It wasn't yes. just the kicker; was there it, was other. And it obviously, uh, uh, but it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> it's a it's a cheap two points, but it is a two points and, I will take. And in fact, Callum actually came in with what I thought was actually a better American football comeback. Oh, great! Uh, <laughs> it's just in my mind, capitulation. Uh, but unfortunately, didn't pick it, so doesn't get any points. Uh, Callum already looking at this season like it might be a tactical tank ready for season two. 
I don't get the first overall pick in the draft, do I? <laughs> I just I just lose. I get relegated. You so, bring in someone else. <laughs> at oh, the end of a twist. At the end of episode five, Sam's chalked up a straight six points and he sat there on thirteen points. Uh, I've got fourteen. Callum, hence the mood. Uh, has <laughs> I have a question. Can you capitulate if you're in last? Because I seem to be doing that. This this might make it on a future list. If yeah. you ever do sporting capitulations again, Callum's season one on three sports rankings Just might tanking make it. episode five. Um, guys, great stuff. I really, really enjoyed that. I did. Uh, <laughs> you enjoyed it up until the last five minutes. Uh, really, really great fun and some fantastic sporting capitulations. Uh, now... Callum, you can't win any points next week because <laughs> you are hosting. Absolutely right. <laughs> what have you got for us? Uh, next week, we are going to be focusing on sports which shouldn't carry that name. So sports which you watch or see on TV and you think, How's, how do people watch this? This isn't a sport. This shouldn't be. So, you know... If you if you come to it and you think, I don't really know how to frame it, but you but know what I mean. We know what you mean. You're yeah. talking about it, it. It has to be an official sport. Yeah, you can't come to you can't come to me and say bridge. Yes, I'm okay. not. I'm not having card games. I'm not having chess, checkers, anything like that. But it has like, to be like a a sport, something that you know a lot of people would consider a sport, a spectator sport, something that people will pay money to go and watch. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you don't think is a sport because I know for a fact that Sam will back up anything as a I'm, sport. I'm going to really struggle on this because my general moral place on this is that like everything should be a sport. Oh, it's all fairies and everything's great. I can say first of all, anything involving fairies is not a sport. <laughs> it's a very good point. Cool. Right. Great stuff. Well, that is episode six. We look forward to that. I think it could be another fun one remember uh, you can find us on twitter and instagram at three sports rankers uh, do let us know if there's any uh, capitulations that we've missed and uh, ahead of episode six as well what are your uh, favorite non-sports what do you think doesn't merit the title of a sport uh, but until next time thanks for listening <laughs>